How's everyone doing? Give me a second while I get myself sorted. Right, is there a clicker? Yes. Thank you. Great. Are you able to get my first slide up, please, Rob? Are you ready for Christmas? Who here reckons they're ready? Who's done all their Christmas shopping? Who started their Christmas shopping? Well done. That's good. It's a busy time of year, isn't it? There's a lot going on around about Christmas. Um, There's so much uh, expectations as well. You need to find a funny, uh, cheap, but not too cheap Christmas present to go to Secret Santa at work. You need to make sure that your child has the right costume for the nativity play, the right amount of wool for their sheep. You need to make sure your daughter has learned all her lines for the Christmas nativity play at church. You need to make sure you visit all of the family. You can't forget someone during the Christmas period. If you're newly married, you have to make sure you spend exactly the same amount of time between both sets of parents. And don't get me started on end-of-year deadlines. Why do all my clients seem to think that everything needs to be tied up before the end of the year? There is still next year, guys. We're going to watch a few of the reasons that some of you have told me why uh, you're especially busy or especially stressed at Christmas. I'm a lot more busy in the run-up to Christmas, and uh, that's because, as well as the activities that are normally happening, there's additional reunions with friends, there's Christmas activities, and they tend to squeeze out time for, for rest and for other things. Um, I find Christmas pretty stressful because there's a lot of planning that needs to go into it. Like You have to plan what Christmas presents you're going to be getting people, who you're writing your Christmas cards to. Christmas is a busy time for me because of my children's Christmas performances and festivities. I find it stressful working out what gifts to get people and how much money to spend. So the things that are the most stressful for me around Christmas time are the inevitable last-minute shopping panic and then trying to wrap presents late on Christmas Eve when I'm already very, very tired. Christmas is so busy because there's so much expectation. Um, There's so much going on with the kids at school, 101 different letters coming back, you've got to try and remember. Um, Lots going on at church, so at work for me, Um, but just everywhere, so it, it can get really overwhelming. I do really look forward to Christmas. I enjoy a lot of the christmas events and seeing family and friends and things but also that comes with its stresses as well um in my work up at monty's community hub and in my other job as well um in community engagement and doing church events and things you end up getting quite busy around this time of year so i think i'm organizing three or four different christmasy themed events and lunches and things which is fun but also means that you can't always fully enjoy them yourself of course the run up to christmas is a busy time for everyone with many things to get ready and prepare. Uh, But with the carol service, we then have a a lot of extra work behind the scenes uh, as we try and take a familiar story and recast it in a new uh, and fresh way. I guess for me, certainly this year, the biggest stress running up to Christmas is, am I going to get the decorating finished in time, as well as being ready for Christmas? So I'd better get back to work. So it sounds like a lot of you are very busy in this next month. 
Um, and on top of that, you know, we, we see all these TV adverts at this time of year, don't we? Portraying the perfect Christmas. We've all got to be uh, sat round the table with a massive roast turkey with a log fire and violin in the corner. That's what it means with all the people that we love. Um, and if we're honest, it's not just the TV and the media's fault. We, we do that to ourselves as well, don't we? We post pictures on Instagram of us all looking smiley and uh, enjoying our dinner when actually, you know, maybe we might be having an argument two minutes before or something like that. And for some of us, Christmas can be quite painful, can't it? You know, what am I going to do on the 25th of December to distract myself while others are celebrating with their spouses, their children, their grandchildren, or their parents that I don't have? You know, we might be quite happy by ourselves on other days of the year, but the 25th of December, there's this expectation, isn't there, that I should be surrounded by my loved ones. If we do have family around with us at Christmas, then, you know, are they all going to get on? Are there going to be tensions there? Can there be arguments? Um, and will so-and-so like the present that I've got them? Is this present, uh, you know, is it expensive enough? Does it look too, too, uh, you know, too cheap? Do I need to get something on the side? You know, these are kind of social expectations um, that we have. And then for some people, you know, maybe you've lost your job. Am I going to be able to afford all the things that we expect at Christmas this year. What's underlying all of this? What's, why do we feel that there's all these things that we need to be able to do, that we, we expect of each other at Christmas? You know, are we, do we worry too much about what other people think of us? Are we a bit insecure? You know, what's, the, what's the driver here? Do we feel that we don't want to let people down? They'll be expecting gifts. You know, I think it's worth taking the time to, to reflect on these things. You know, is my busyness at Christmas, is it healthy? And what is driving it? The irony is, you know, with, with all this busyness that's around Christmas, Christmas is about celebrating God coming into the world. And so often, actually, we can end up squeezing God out of our lives, can't we? with all the things that are going on. You know, even for me, in the preparation of this talk, that's ironic, isn't it? In this preparation of this talk, sometimes my quiet time got moved. Busyness in itself isn't bad. You know, it's nice to be busy. But with busy, busyness, there's a, there's a danger, isn't there? You know, some things get pushed. Sometimes important things. So we need to watch out, don't we? So often, you know, our stress and our busyness in our lives can lead us to ignore and push God to one side. So, the most important expectations, we've been talking about these expectations that are on us this Christmas. I would say the most important expectation this Christmas is what God expects of us. That matters the most, what God thinks. As Christians, what does it mean to be ready for Christmas? As followers of Jesus, we can lose perspective, can't we? With all the things that are going on at Christmas, it's very easy for us to lose perspective and get a bit caught up in everything. Wouldn't it be great if even in amongst the busyness and stresses of Christmas this year, we didn't just make space for God, but we made God the centre and our top priority? If you're not yet a, a believer in, in Jesus this morning, you may be wondering, what is all this about? You know, you've heard about Joseph, Mary, and there's this baby called Jesus. 
Why do Christians get so excited about this? And there's already so much going on at Christmas. We've just spoken about it. Why would you add church stuff on top of that? Well, hopefully the passages that we're going to look at today are going to help us think about all of those questions. So, Christmas is about uh, God coming down as a person, Jesus. But that's not the first time that God came. He also came in Exodus. And so the passages that we're going to look at today will hopefully be a reminder for us, approaching this busy time, of what we're living for and what's important. We've spoken a lot about expectations already, and what we're going to be thinking about, what are God's expectations? If, you, if you'll forgive the cheesiness of the question, what does God want for Christmas? So, we've been going through a series in Exodus. If you've been with us for the last few months, you'll know. And the book of Exodus is in the first part of the Bible, so the Old Testament, so that's before Jesus. And the book of Exodus is often divided into two parts. There's uh, 1 to 18, and then there's 19 to 40. And today we're going to be um, looking at the first few verses, actually, of that chapter 19. So you could say we've reached a really important point in the story. Some would call it a climax. So what's happened so far? Well, when we started... Uh, Israel, God's people, they were um, slaves in Egypt, weren't they? And uh, God used a man called Moses to speak to Pharaoh, who is the leader of Egypt, to try and um, tell, to, for Pharaoh to let his people go. But Pharaoh refused. And so there were a series of plagues that came on Egypt, and eventually Pharaoh let Israel go. Um, but then he changed his mind, and him and his army chased after them, and um, God closed the water on uh, Pharaoh and his army, and they died. Then, the Israelites had just been rescued, but all doesn't suddenly, you know, it's not happily living ever after. Um, They're the other side, but then they start grumbling, because they don't have water, and they start thinking it's better, uh, it was better life in Egypt. And so that's what we looked at last week. And now, the uh, people of Israel have arrived at Mount Sinai which is where they camped. I'm going to show you a quick little map. Here we go. So uh, this is where they were to start with, in Egypt. And um, actually where they're trying to get to is top right. That's the promised land. This is where they they crossed uh, the Red Sea. And this is where they are today. And this is um, where they're trying to get to. So you you can see there that it's a little bit strange, isn't it? It's not quite where you would expect um, them to be going. And as... um, and as a place, it's quite different, actually, to the Promised Land. You know, Sinai is, is a, a wild, mountainous terrain. It's, um, it's not, you know, the land flowing with milk and honey. But as Paul pointed out last week, you know, Sinai was the intended target. This wasn't a mistake on God's behalf to take them there. This is where God wanted to take them and where God was going to be speaking to them. So... Moses here goes up to the mountain to see God and to ask what um, God was going to say. And God here is going to outline his covenant with his people. Covenant, you could say, is like the expectations for the relationship. What does, um, how does God uh, intend this relationship to be? So, so you could say this is it. You know, um, It doesn't get much bigger than this. You've seen the Brexit negotiations and how that relationship is going to work out. Well, think much bigger. This is how God wants to be relating 
to his people. So you can imagine there being like masses of banks of photographers coming out. What is God going to say? What is God going to expect? God has brought people out of Egypt, out of slavery, for what? What's it about? So we're going to read together. It's on page uh, 76, and Elaine is going to read it for us. It's Exodus um, 19, 1 to 8. Thank you. Thanks. Good morning. At Mount Sinai, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim. They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I, got, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possessions. Through the whole earth is mine. Although the whole earth is mine, you will, not, you will be for me a kingdom of peace and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them the words of the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do so everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come with you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Pretty cool, isn't it? So what does God say? What does God say? Well, first of all, he reminds his people that he saved them. He says, um, I brought you out of Egypt. Now, they'd have known this, of course, because it would have only been you know, about three months ago, so they'd have seen it firsthand. But he starts by reminding them what he's done for them. Brought, he brought his people to himself. There's no question here about it being Israel's merit. You know, did they deserve it? No, I brought you to myself. And there's nothing conditional about this either. There's no conditional statement. God did not save the people because they themselves had done anything. The parallel, of course, for us is Jesus, isn't it? We know that we don't deserve what Jesus did for us. We didn't do anything, and yet Jesus on the cross died for us. Hang on a second, I'm a bit lost. Oh yeah, there we go. Cool. Yeah, Jesus brought us to himself. So that's the first thing that God tells us, is that um, God saved his people from Egypt. Second thing. Secondly, actually, God expects his people to obey him. So as we've said already, God's people were saved by nothing of their own doing. So here we go. Here's a sequence of events. First of all, there's the saving act of the Lord. Secondly, there's our response in obedience. And thirdly, there's the blessings which obedience brings. So you'll see that God's grace comes first. It comes before the law, comes before 
the request of obedience. It's to those who have been saved that God reveals his law. The Lord rescued Israel from Egypt, not to make them his sons, but because Israel was already God's firstborn. Obedience isn't our uh, part in a sort of two-sided bargain here. That's not our part. Obedience is our response to what, our grateful response to what God has already done. So God gives the law, his word, not as a ladder of merit, but instead as a way of life for those who are already redeemed. He brings us to himself, and then he requires this new way of life. So is it okay to keep on sinning, to do things that God doesn't agree with? Does it really matter? Well, clearly it matters to God. But God doesn't just... um, tell us to obey and leave us to our own devices. God helps us to be obedient. We don't just need to try harder by ourselves. God transforms us, doesn't he, by his Holy Spirit, who is God living inside us, to become more like him. Did you notice the word obey fully? Fully, small word, isn't it? Easy to skip over. But it's quite meaningful, isn't it? It doesn't mean obey near enough. It doesn't mean not partly, not even 90% actually. It means fully. In and amongst the busyness and stresses of Christmas, let's not just make space for God. Let's make God the center and the top priority. Let's obey him fully. Of course, that's quite a tall order, isn't it? And just like the people of Israel who didn't manage, you know, they didn't manage to keep that up, We too will fail, but God helps us and God forgives us. Did you notice here, if you obey me fully, you will be my treasured possessions. Think about that for a minute. God's treasured possessions. What God actually wants for Christmas is actually you. The word here for treasure possession is segula. No idea how you say that, sorry. Um, But it means that kind of personal treasure. And I guess it it kind of refers to the fact that in those days, you know, kings would own everything, but they might have something that they keep to one side, you know, a sort of special prized asset. Imagine that. We can be God's special prized to one side thing. Pretty cool, isn't it? Let's read together uh, in Luke 10, 38 to 42. It's on page 1042 if you're in the church Bibles. Some of you might be familiar with it. So it's in the New Testament, um, so Jesus is around. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparation that that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? 
Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It's a, it's a really simple story, isn't it? It's a really helpful and down-to-earth example, isn't it? Now, what Martha was doing wasn't wrong. You know, she was preparing food, and that's obviously really important. Well, it is to me anyway. Um, but she got so preoccupied with preparing things that she missed the most important thing. Let's not make that mistake as well. In and amongst the busyness and stresses of Christmas, let's not just make space for God. Let's make God the center and the top priority. So we don't receive uh, salvation, God's salvation by obeying. We obey to enjoy the benefits You see, the covenant relationship is already a reality. The the Israelites don't um, obey in order to enter into it. No, they they obey in order to enter the benefit, sorry, to enter the enjoyment of the benefit and the privilege of being God's people. Obadiah, um, in in um, in his book, says, you know, possessing our possessions. We, we, you know, we could say we, we obey to enter into full enjoyment of what is already rightfully ours. So the Lord has acted, securing these benefits, and obedience brings enjoyment of what he has achieved. This is what I have done for you, God says. Now obey and enjoy them. So this uh, Christmas, we can already, you know, we can enjoy what God has achieved When we obey him, when we follow his instructions, we can enjoy what is rightfully ours. In and amongst the busyness and stresses of Christmas, let's not just make space for God. Let's make God the center and the top priority. And let's get enjoyment from what God has has achieved by obeying him. The blessings don't stop there. If we obey, we can become a kingdom of priests. Well, all right, at first glance, that might not sound like the most attractive proposition, but let me expand. In those days, priests had um, access to God, and that was a big deal. You know, maybe we've become become a little bit blasé about it, but having access to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that's quite a big deal, yeah? If we know God, we each here are a priest with the privilege of a priest. Access to the king. Priests have an important role too, don't they? They bring God to the people and they bring people to God. They bring God to the people so people know about God and can meet him. And they bring people back to God so they show people how they too can have access to God. How they can be forgiven how they can know and become priests too. Um, Next up, Israel can be a holy nation. Holy means uh, set apart, distinctive, pure. Israel to be holy, to be distinctive for the purpose of sharing 
and displaying how amazing God is. You know, like a light in a room. 2 Thessalonians 1.10, God is glorified in his holy people. We are to be distinctive for the purpose of displaying and sharing how amazing God is. Okay, so what does all of this mean for us this morning? Well, we've spoken quite a lot, haven't we, about um, making God central, especially at this busy time. In and amongst the busyness and stresses of Christmas, let's not just make space for God. We want to make God the center and the top priority. So how do we do that? Well, it's a good question. Um, One thing that might be helpful is daily reflections. Being reminded every day of what God has done for us. Um, we've got uh, online reflections at the moment. You can check out on the website where every day there's a there's a reading that you can do. I've also um, I found this book really really helpful, so I did it last year. Every day, so it's by um, Tim Chester. It's called The One True Gift. I think he does a few of them actually. Um, every day there's a different reflection, um, and things like that can be really helpful, can't they? To Remember every day. But let's be careful. Let's watch out. Um, you know, other things in this busy time can uh, distract us from worshipping God wholeheartedly. So let's not get so caught up in Christmas that we squeeze God out. If you haven't put your trust in God yet, well, we've seen this morning that God wants to relate to you. God wants you to be his treasured possession. God wants you to enjoy the blessings that he's got in store for you. So you too can put your trust in him. We also saw that we're, we're meant to obey fully. Is this something that we need to do? Or stop doing in order to enjoy the blessing? Not in order to be saved, but as the, our grateful response to being saved. I feel God's prompted me to use the example of pornography. I know that can be a real struggle for people. But it causes real harm, doesn't it, to ourselves, to our relationships, and can hold back God's intended blessings. We may be saved, but we can't fully enjoy what God's got in store. Maybe that's an obvious one, but what is God telling you to do or to stop doing? Let's not forget, we can do it, but we need God's help. We can't do it by just trying harder. We also saw that we can become a kingdom of priests. How do we go about that? Well, we carry the, God, the knowledge of God, don't we? And we can bring God to others and bring others to God. We can be that bridge. Um, it was David shared a really helpful story. I don't know if you saw it in an email a few a few weeks ago, if you haven't, there's probably some on the desk over there, um, about how he just gave out a try praying to someone on the train. Even in the busyness of Christmas, let's still be priests, a kingdom of priests. Okay, let's think about what this would be like for a minute if we did make Jesus the main thing for us this Christmas. Well, I think we'd have hope. Even amongst some of those difficulties we mentioned later, uh, earlier, you know, loneliness, deadlines at work, family tensions, family difficulties, as we reflect on what God ha- coming down means to us, I think we'd have hope in those situations. 
those situations wouldn't go away, but I think we'd know hope. I think we'd know even more of God's blessing as we turn away from sin in our lives. And I think we'd be buzzing. I like that word. Buzzing. I think we'd be buzzing about how amazing God is. It would be a kingdom of priests. It'd be clear as we talk to people how excited we are about Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for Christmas. Thank you so much for what it means for us. Thank you that um, you came. And um, as, we, as we think of it, we, we pray that we would be able to celebrate that this year. That actually you wouldn't get squeezed out. You wouldn't, we wouldn't just make space for you, but actually we'd make you central. We'd make you our priority this Christmas. Thank you so much for those promises. Thank you that you have already saved us. Thank you that you, know, you ask us to obey and follow your instructions, but you help us with that. And thank you for those blessings. Thank you we can be your treasured possessions. And thank you we can be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. I ask for your help as we seek to do that. Amen.